At 6 p.m. at Thomas Station in Accra's Central Business District, businesses are beginning to shut down. Sellers are dishing out food. Others are preparing their sheds for the night. Some sit around, and as you can hear, they are chit-chatting and taking in all the music from a nearby sound system. That's Doreen Ampofo. I'm Diana Kufu, and this is Climate Change and Us, Ghana Ground Zero. Doreen, let me ask you, why were you at Tema Station? I was out in that part of town because it's often the first stop for people who have migrated to Accra from the countryside after their livelihoods have been destroyed by droughts, by flooding, by a changing climate. I wanted to see what life is like for these people once they have left everything behind to start afresh in a new land. In the next half hour, Doreen and I will explore with you the complex relationship between migration and climate change through the personal stories of migrants. Doreen picks up the story at Tema Station. The streets of Accra are known for their rowdy hustle and bustle. For decades, the city has attracted tens of thousands of people from across the country in search of better economic opportunities. But a growing number of the city's newcomers are here because harsh climatic and environmental conditions in their homelands have left them no choice. Lamisi, a 35-year-old woman who earns a living carrying shoppers' groceries at Tema Station, came to Accra from the north of the country more than two years ago. Northern Ghana wants the nation's breadbasket as one of the most impoverished parts of the country. The land is so dry and hard that women can't easily farm. The rains are not falling. We would plant granite and beans, but they would be destroyed due to heavy rains and prolonged droughts. This has worsened poverty up north and forced us to Accra. Approximately half of the farmers in the country are women. And Ghana, like most countries in Africa, is at the forefront of the adverse impacts of climate change. Across Africa, rainfall has become unpredictable, leading to frequent destructive floods in parts of the country and droughts in others. In the south, sea level rise, coastal erosion and unusually high tides have conspired to submerge farmlands and residential areas. It has made life hard for people like Fulera, another recent northern migrant in Accra. Like most climate change migrants at Tema Station, she also carries groceries for shoppers in Ghana's capital, Accra. Fulera was forced into this life because subsistence activities like agriculture are no longer paying off and have become harder to perform. 
it doesn't rain much anymore. My husband is farming in the village with the kids. I break my back to send money home for farming, but still, the crops do not yield as expected. We must apply a lot of fertilizer. Even with that, the yield is not assured. In the south, our colleague Philip Latte has been hearing similar stories from fisherfolk and coastal dwellers dealing with devastating sea level rise. I'm at Dansoman Beach, a once vibrant but fast collapsing community. Residents tell me. The sea has come at them aggressively over the last few decades. From the edge of the breaking waves, I can see houses hanging off deep cuts in the waterfront. I also see the exposed foundation of homes that have been swept away by the ocean. One of the houses cut in half and tucked between equally wobbly structures belongs to Benjamin Komi, a small statured man with a strong voice. I invest a lot there. That my lifetime, my everything I invest there. Komi, who left an unsuccessful career as professional footballer to invest in the local tourism industry, is referring to a local bar and eatery he runs with his wife. I started that place nine years now. Yeah, I invest a lot there. But right now, the sea Homer tells me that as the ocean keeps coming and the local economy collapses, many have been forced to leave, though he has no option than to relocate like most affected persons have done. He has no money at the moment to do so. To survive, he is engaging in some fishing. Dansuman is only one of many communities that have been affected in this way, according to Dr. Kwesi Ado Apinin, Director of the Institute of Environment and Sanitation Studies at the University of Ghana. 37% of coastal land in Ghana was lost to erosion and flooding between 2005 and 2017. And you know, Diane, this kind of research can be easily glossed over. Numbers, charts. But one powerful fact remains. More than a third of Ghana's coastlines are now gone. Gone. And without drastic action, I can't see that changing. Climate-induced migration has caught the attention of experts and policymakers. Here is Professor Justice Baule, a climate economist and dean of the University of Ghana Business School. You know that the northern region is very dry, and the climate change is making the predictability of rain now even worse. So farmers are unable to predict when it will rain. Uh, unfortunately, when it starts raining, in some cases, just three days, the whole place is flooded. So it's either you're not getting rain, and therefore people are unable to farm, or you are getting the, the rain in such heavy torrents that 
within a short period, the whole place is flooded and farmers are unable to farm. What has been the impact of that? In the 1970s, the north was, um, was the hub for rice cultivation. It was the hub for cotton cultivation. And young people could find things to do. Ghana's importation of even cereal is increasing. Rice production is increasing. Why? Because the north used to be the production basket where a lot of these were produced. There is no investment in mechanization. Older folks are the ones left now. They are unable to cultivate uh, poverty levels. And if you check the, the inequality levels, you will see that the, the now six northern regions, uh, the, the inequality levels are, are deepening. What this tells you is that over time, people have gotten poorer. And they have gotten poorer because, as I said, again, linked to climate change, there's now a lot more variability and farmers are unable to predict. So people invest and they lose because they don't get the benefit because they are not able to properly predict when the rains will come and all of that. And so the older generation are getting, doing lesser and lesser farmland. The younger generation have moved out to the cities and all of us are sitting on a time bomb. If you've noticed the influx of um, nomadic herdsmen in Ghana, across the Sahel, it's getting drier and drier. And they are moving down into areas where they can find feed for their animals. And so in areas where you have grassland, you, it's, they, they, they are attracted to come to those areas. So you see them enter through the northern regions and they come down. And, and they get, there are usually clashes between them and farmers. Piening, director of the Institute of Environment and Sanitation Studies at the University of Ghana, says it's logical for people to move when their livelihoods disappear. It's about survival. There is a, a, a relationship, you know, between uh, coastal erosion and migration. Because as I mentioned, if, if an area is being eroded, if houses are being destroyed, then obviously the people living there will have to move. So where are they moving to? They are moving to a perceived safer area or a perceived safe area. So if they are moving to a safe area, then they are migrating from one point to the other. And if people also are losing their source of livelihood, then definitely people would want to look for new or alternative sources of livelihood. And if those alternative sources of livelihood are not, are not within the immediate enviro environment, then people are forced to also move. In most cases, the promised land for these climate change refugees is Accra. Just how many people are we talking about here? I put that question to Florent Bryant at the International Organization for Migration, Ghana. It's estimated that 1.8 million people are exposed to those dynamics here in Ghana, particularly fisherfolk, and of course of, often forcing them to migrate, some temporarily, some uh, permanently, to, um, to other land sites. And then, uh, you know, the fishing, if you are used to fish, but you have to move inwards, then maybe you're whole um, livelihood is also jeopardized. And we've seen such an example, of course, and I know you know it, in Keta, uh, where just a month ago, um, more than 4,000 people, or almost, no, almost 4,000 people were uh, displaced uh, because of a tidal surge, which swept through more than 500 houses. These things are not only happening to fisherfolk or in coastal areas. 
I also spoke with Hinda Suibanani, who is the Migration, Environment and Climate Change Specialist for West and Central Africa at the International Organization for Migration. The IOM estimates that the, the slow onset events that have more impact on human, human mobility in the region are land degradation, water scarcity and sea level rise or coastal erosion. Uh, and we also have, we are very impacted by floods and floods also trigger displacement. The famous Cranswell report that was published, the first version of it, the first batch of the Cranswell report that was published on uh, in 2018, uh, forces that uh, if nothing is done, if no uh, climate action is undertaken, uh, in 2050, in sub-Saharan Africa, we will have 86 million climate-induced migrants. Uh, and, and so the, the big trend uh, is internal migration. So the huge majority of climate-induced migration is internal. Now, unlike refugees who are forced to leave one country and go to another, migrants are forced to move within their own country. And as Diane found out, migration due to climate change may be many Ghanaians' only choice. But, you know, Doreen, it is hardly a guarantee for a better life. Migrants we spoke to tell stories of hardship on their journey to what they hope will be a better life. And then the difficulties they face upon arrival. Doreen, let's go back to Tema Station in Accra, where many climate change migrants wind up. I'm here at CMB, one of the many lorry stations in Accra. Here, climate change migrants come to seek shelter. They sleep in the open in parking lots. They expose the biting cold. They suffer in the extreme heat, the rain, the mosquitoes, thieves. Women are the most vulnerable, victims of assault and rape. It happens often. There is a guy here who commits those acts. He recently kidnapped a pregnant woman, robbed her of her money and phone, raped her and beat her up. I was also a victim of sexual assault last year. The little money we earn is stolen by thieves. Most migrants are often unaware of these difficulties they will face when they set out on their journey from north to south. I met Salah, another young woman who single-handedly relocated to Accra from the north when she was 11 years old. After years of being a head porter in the market, carrying produce for customers, she is currently a nursing student in one of Ghana's top universities. Life in Accra, she tells me, is not what she expected. I came through my friends. Actually, I would say it was a lie for my friends because they told me that Accra, they are living, they are living a luxurious life. They are sleeping in air-conditioned rooms and all that. Only for me to realize when I came here that they are, we are, we are sleeping just by a gutter. For climate change migrants like Salah. The tough life that lies ahead begins as soon as they decide to leave home. Their stories include riding in overcrowded cars and with cattle in large trucks for many hours. 
I can't describe it. You must be part of a together picture. It's so uncomfortable. A bus that is supposed to carry three passengers carried four or five for the 16-hour journey. Oh, that is even better. So the brave ones joined cattle on the journey. It is a very risky journey because some get involved in accidents and die. In some cases, the buses seem to almost fall off the cliff, but we somehow survive. Climate-induced migration is a national emergency in Ghana. In 2017 alone, more than 317,000 people were internally displaced due to harsh climatic conditions. Experts are warning that dry parts of the country will get even drier and wet parts will get a lot wetter. But addressing the problem is not always straightforward. Firstly, policymakers and experts do not agree on the true nature of the problem. Remember Hend Binani, the IOM specialist on migration and climate change? She doesn't appear to be too worried about mass migration caused by climate change. The climate change has an impact on human mobility, but it doesn't mean that climate change uh, triggers mobility. It can also trigger immobility. And this uh, immobility triggered by climate change needs to be more and more documented. So the idea here is also to disconstruct the idea or the fact, yeah, the idea that climate change will trigger massive human mobility. We, we need a little bit to calm down and focus on the producing knowledge about that. Hent later told me that we need to stop framing climate change as apocalyptic and that we need to deconstruct the idea that climate change will trigger migration. But it seems the data and the situation on the ground tell a different story. And as the politicians and NGOs continue to ignore the problem, climate change migrants are left with little of the support and protections that is granted to migrants and refugees fleeing war and conflict by international law. Fatal, who requested we only use his first name, is a migrant community leader in Tama Station. We have a lot of educated people here. Those who come completed SS level, they are here. Most of them have been looking for work. And now, the way Ghana has been moving, we don't even know what to say. I can say anything is now going for, if you don't have anyone in the ministry or any department, you won't get work to do. Protocol is all over for the country. Because our people, they can't get a new job. They will go home and apply a job, they will come back and say they haven't picked them because of protocol. She doesn't have anyone to go and contact the person and say, oh, this is the work that I needed. They won't take her. As the government delays providing support to its climate refugees, help is trickling in from various actors. One program started by former Chief Justice Georgina Thulira Rood in 2007 mentors vulnerable girls who have dropped out of school. Salah, the climate refugee from the north, who we met earlier and is now at the university, attended this program. The Chief Justice shared her story. Some high, high lawyers and judges share their stories and I realized that, oh, in this world, 
in this world. Nothing is just nothing. Nothing is on a silver platter. You have to start somewhere and end somewhere. So I made my mind. I was like, oh, if somebody mother sold charcoal to take care of the person or education expenses and the person has become who she is today. What shows me I can I can make it. I can still make it. Yes. When, I, when I had a chance to join this program, I said, no, I have to go back to school. I made up my mind that I had to go back to school. Even though for anything, I've learned about my rights, even though I knew, but there were some I didn't know. And I've made informed choices about my sexuality. I've moved on. If not for anything, I've moved on. You can imagine where I would have ended up if not because of this program. Where do you think you would have ended up? Mm. By now, I think I would have like two, three kids. <laughs> While working on this project, we were invited to attend a further drinks together headquarters from across the country and provide them with training. There are about 40 of them here who have in the last two years received skills training and support to go back to school from a national non-profit called Purim Africa Youth Development Platform or PAID. PAID Akuhonam says the program is assisting migrant women in many ways. Over 150 girls have been part of it, but this is just a component of the whole program, and that has reached over 10,000 girls. So the intention of this program is to use an integrated approach, which is livelihood empowerment, legal literacy, uh, sexual reproductive health information and services, providing safe spaces for them, leadership and mentorship, to help them to do more in life. Yes, a lot of these girls have moved on in life. A lot of these girls used to be in the markets. They were kayaking, carrying, you know, pants, and they've moved on. You know, letting these girls move on is not easy because a lot of these girls come from the north with several reasons. So you cannot just get up and snatch them from the market. It takes time. So for us, we are happy that gradually a lot of these girls are making decisions to move on in life. But how exactly have they moved on? Our focus is really on ensuring that every young person's potential is fulfilled. And as the United Nations in general, we also have this focus on leaving no one behind. We've heard most of them indicating that they've gone back to school. We have some of them that have actually even gone back to tertiary institution. There's somebody at the University of Ghana now doing nursing. And there is somebody at the University of Education also uh, learning to be like uh, coming out at, from a tertiary institution. Some are actually working with NGOs. We have one of them working with GIZ. There are some that have actually opened their own shops, hairdressing shops. After all, the plight of climate change migrants is not completely insurmountable. All that is needed is several small high-impact programs. And strong action from rich countries to cut back their carbon emissions and support communities suffering the impact of climate change cope adequately. You know, Doreen, early in the show, we spoke to Fatal, a migrant community leader in Tema Station. He referred to what the female headquarters carry as Kaya. Kaya means birding in the Hausa language. Ye refers to women in the Ga language. Combined, Kaye are the women of Ghana who carry our load. They really do, Diane. In many ways, the women of Ghana are the Kaye of climate change for our planet. 
I hope the world is listening. That's where the journey ends. In the next episode, we explore the recycling of plastics, a product that contributes enormously to global warming. And as we say goodbye until next time, let's bring back that beautiful song from the Ghanaian Fair for Women headquarters, singing about their hopes and aspirations. Climate Change and Us, Ghana Ground Zero, is put together by young Ghanaian broadcasters and community advocates. Diane Kufu, Philip Latte, Evelyn Addo, Yvonne Atilego, Doreen Ampofo. The podcast is produced by Eugene Fongwa. <laughs>